podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Still Giggs goes. He's through. He's scored. Ryan Giggs. He's at the goal that's played for Manchester United. Right footed. It's a clear header. And it into the net. Solskjaer has won the European Cup for Manchester United. Good morning, afternoon or evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Stretty Cast, the official podcast of StrettyNews.com, the number one United podcast being broadcast into your ears at this very moment in time that you're listening to it. And, um, well, we, we actually come into this podcast in a good mood for a change because we've actually had a great weekend. It was a bit of a mixed bag, actually, when you consider last Thursday saw a disappointing draw um, in the Europa League to Anderlecht, but we bounced back superbly well with what I would say was the best performance we had all season with the 2 0 win over league leaders Chelsea. We will sort of in depth begin with the Anderlecht game, um, but just want to get a couple of quick thoughts off you both, gents, about everything that went down. Um, first of all, to uh, one of my partners in crime, Philip Morrissey, a couple of quick words about what you thought of the game and the performance on Sunday before we go into it in a little bit more detail later on. Well, it was just, I think it was just the atmosphere, it was the the energy, the dynamism, like the the whole, everything just seemed to click. Um, there was uh, no way that Bar- uh, Chelsea were going to score. You know, we were playing on the front foot and it just seemed the way that we should be playing all season. Yeah, I can't remember, that might be... Only the f- that might be the first time we've scored all season in the first like half an hour at home or something like that. Um, I'd have to double check those statistics. He did. Um, that was it, the earliest we've scored this season. I know Sky were quick to point that out. So yes, yeah. it was. We scored pretty early against Leicester as well, didn't we? Yes, was that the four the four nil at the, home? The four one, yeah, 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 yeah. The one um, where they couldn't defend the corner. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. I remember that very well. Um, Johnny, a couple of quick thoughts from you before I get a more in depth analysis from you uh, this game later on. Yeah, still just sort of riding the sort of tantric wave of happiness because it was just everything that you hoped for in all the previous games that have stifled us. It were there in every aspect of for ninety minutes. Atmosphere, performance, energy, actually finishing games when we had the chance to finish rather than wasting away and getting caught late on by a side that had offered nothing. It was just the performance that you just, if you really just pray for in games like that, and it delivered. Just nothing but happiness on that one. Yeah, uh, no disagreement here. Uh, of course, um, we begin properly because um, I don't want to sort of end on a negative note. I want to try and end on the positives in this podcast. So we'll begin with um, last Thursday night's um, what was it, the end of a rather disappointing result in Brussels against Anderlecht. We drew one all. United took the lead after absolutely bossing the game for for most of it. Um, we managed to uh, managed to get a goal, but then. Um, Fellaini was brought on as a substitute to try and stem the tide and uh, we'll get in a little bit more in depth into into the role that Fellaini was used in in this particular game but that just seemed to turn things against Manchester United and gave Anderlecht a little bit of momentum and they equalised towards the end of the game when they really didn't deserve it, did they Phil? I mean what did you make of the overall performance 
uh, for Manchester United in that game? Well, it was just a game that was that was just there for the for the taking. Like they really should have been. Um, they scored one and one in the first half uh, through Mkhitaryan, which was a good goal. Like, but um, the amount of opportunities then afterwards, like uh, towards the end of the first half and the start of the second half, the the football yet again. We've said this so often. The football yet again was actually quite impressive. That uh, build-up play was uh, quite good, but it was just some of the wasteful finishing. It was uh, how many how many times have we actually said it this season so far? Like um, uh, Pogba hitting against the goalkeeper, McTarian hitting wide from um, from almost in front of the goal. Uh, Ibrahimovic almost being completely anonymous, and um, we concede a goal with four minutes to go from a player scoring his first goal in Europe with their first shot on target. Um, it was it was a game that was demanded that we win it. Like I know uh, you and I both uh, predicted a one-all draw. Uh, going into the game, but still, you would still would have uh, fancied them to do it, um, considering the injuries that Anglet had. Uh, they were missing their top yeah. scorer. I think they were missing um, one or two of their midfield players as well. But um, to be that, yeah. to be that much in charge and to to not have the tight finished off, it's it's infuriating. It is, and um, I really, yeah, I mean, I, I predicted one all. I'm going to stick with my original prediction that United, a prediction that United draw all the way to the final and then win the final on penalties. Um, but you really thought the performance in the first half, once Mkhitaryan, it was a lovely little finish as well, actually, from a very tight angle, put that goal in. I thought, we well, we've scored before half-time. I thought, we'll really get in the way here. If we get another one either, sat, we get another one either before or just after half-time, we'll really kill this one off, but it just never did. Um and uh, as I highlighted, I mean, you had this was very wasteful. Um, I wonder, maybe in some small way, that contributed to the lineup that Mourinho then put out on Sunday. But of course, one of the big talking points of the game was for the substitution where Fellaini was brought on. A lot of people think that really killed um, United's momentum going forward in that game. What did you? What were your thoughts on that substitution, Phil? Well, I think as a I think as we said many times before, um, Fellaini seems to actually play better when he's actually starting because it take it seems to take him maybe five ten minutes to actually get into the pace of the game to find out um, where he's what he's meant to be doing. Is he just meant to be um, defending deep? Is he meant to be playing a bit more forward? Is he what is he meant to do? Is he just yeah? It's the it's, it's the Ryan Giggs conundrum. Ryan Giggs is, was always is he, generally he, very poor coming off the bench. Is he just there to uh, to uh, disrupt things at uh, set pieces to to block off players when it comes to corners? Um, is he? Uh, he just there didn't seem to be a role set for him, um, and he was kind of caught between uh, two positions, between sitting back and between going forward and. Um, it just seemed to be a bit uneven because I mean when he has started especially in the last couple of league games he's actually done quite well despite his many detractors he's actually played quite well um, 
um, especially away against Middlesbrough, away against Sunderland, uh, the the Chelsea game in which we'll go into further. But um, he's actually done a really decent job. But um, seemingly there seems to be some sort of um, some sort of psychological condition when he comes off the bench that he's not quite sure about what he wants to do or what he has to do. I mean, there is exceptions to the rule of everything, of course. I remember, I think it was a game against West Bromwich Album where he came off the bench and he was tremendously effective. But by and large, you look at Fellaini's best performances to Manchester United, they were always when he was starting. And obviously for Everton, he was always starting because he was always a dead-set starter. And I remember, actually, funnily enough, it was against Chelsea. He was probably one of the most memorable Fellaini performances. I think he Cruyff turned against one of Chelsea's defenders on the edge I think of that, that was, box. Uh, that, wasn't that Man City? I thought I'm sure. I thought it was Chelsea. I'm sure it was. You could be right though. Um, if anyone wants to comment and 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 fact check us on that, do feel free. But um, and of course, they put was, somebody to the sword. There was that game at Old Trafford where we where we drew four all, and it was kind of the the death nail in our uh, title championship winning season, where he just yeah. absolutely bossed everything. Yeah. And that was, um, of course, at Everton were stewarded by the uh, fourth best manager in Premier League history, David Moyes. Yep. yep, yep. Wonder what Even the mention said. of his name just makes me feel ill. It's just... There's a reason oh. I, 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 I oh. censor his name out of my articles. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was actually a fairly interesting statistic that, I, um, that was pointed out to me um, last weekend uh, by a friend of mine. Um, in the Europa League, we've almost had as many goal scorers as in the Premier League, despite playing a third less games. And many, uh, many uh, players such as Mkhitaryan, uh, Rooney, Lingard, actually have more goals in the Europa League than what they have in the Premier League. He has rotated quite a lot in the Europa League, though, hasn't he? Um, especially in the group stages, there was a lot of squad. Ro- there was a lot of rotating the squad around in the group stages, and then suddenly he realised when it came later on into the knockout stages that actually we might have to win this competition. Mm. So that's interesting. I, I'll I, I will double this up actually talking about last week's game with just a little preview of um, the second leg, um, which is going to be very shortly there up. It's either tomorrow night or tonight, depending on when you listen to this podcast. But um, uh, the team news for United in terms of the second leg against Anderlecht. Uh, Wayne Rooney could well be back. He's back in training, so he could be in the squad. We would expect Sergio Romero will start ahead of David Hayer again. He started every game in the competition. Um, he's now talking up his, his chances of maybe pushing for that number one spot. Might have half a chance to do it next season. Of course, Phil Jones, Chris Smalling and one matter are all out. Cheers for the latter. Um, cheers for the news of the two former uh, not being available. I think we could all agree that's probably the best thing for everybody. Um, and I think we could also probably expect Zlatan Ibrahimovic is going to start um, that game. Do we Do we think he'll start, Phil? I imagine he will. You just imagine he's getting a lot more space yeah. to play. I, especially, especially when he didn't play on Sunday. I expect him to start on uh, tomorrow, well tomorrow night, depending on what you're listening to this. And uh, he has done well in Europe yeah. in the ten or eleven games so far. He's scored five or six goals. So 
Yeah, except, except the uh, first leg against Anderlecht, he was bobbins. You barely saw him at all. Like he was, as I said, like he was completely anonymous, and he, I think he actually admitted that himself. What do we fit? What do we predict the scores going to be for the second leg? Two uh, 0 Yeah, I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick to my guns. I said we draw every round to we get to the final. Some say nil nil. Um, you have, well, I suppose the, I have to stick to my guns now. I'm not going to be one of these nah. that changes his mind every two minutes. And we, and we are the last club from England left in Europe. Yes, that's right. We are because Leicester City um, are gone now as the world's smallest violins play in the background um, for that one. You break um, a little England verse. Yeah, they almost did it though. They weren't far off last night. They um, they were actually much better in that, that return leg than I thought they were going to be. Um, I was quite yeah. surprised. Um, although I don't think Atleti had much of a go. Yeah. It was a strange game. Uh, goals weren't quite flying in in that game like they seemed to be, they seemed to be in the other... In, um, well, in the other game that was going on last night. But um, anyway, that's a, that's a chat for another podcast yeah. another day. Um, you, we mentioned Ibrahimovic, of course, and uh, Johnny, on Sunday... Against Chelsea, Ibrahimovic didn't start, which surprised just about everybody. Um, probably no more so than the three of us, who would have all expected him to play in what was, in many ways, the biggest game of the season, certainly domestically. Um, he started with um, Lingard and Rashford up front, playing some weird sort of um, variant on a 3-4-3, I think, when a lot say it, although there was no set formation, considering we had two man markers out there. Um, but a terrific performance of Manchester United, a game in which they won 2-0. Um, Marcus Rashford opened the scoring off a terrific free ball from Ander Herrera after just seven minutes, which was the earliest the earliest we scored at home. Definitely at home yeah. all season. Must be. Oh, um, it is by a mile. It's got to be. I'm sure I'm sure we scored. That was that was earlier than the goal we scored in the Leicester game, wasn't it? Probably. Um, as I say, if there's anybody that has the actual statistics in front of them, they might uh, be able to provide us. Yeah, I'm going to go look that up, actually, while, while, while Johnny sort of delves in depth to this game. But um, So we, we had that, and then Herrera himself scored off a deflected shot uh, just four minutes after, after the interval. Uh, it was a terrific performance, wasn't it, Johnny? Just, just what about um, what hi- what were the particular highlights of that that performance for you? Because to me, it was the best performance of the season. Oh yeah, I mean for me, by a significant distance, the best that we played under Mourinho in any competition. It just it had everything that you hope to see. Um, but I think it was just the fact that they went out there with a plan. They delivered on every aspect of it not just in terms of getting out there, getting at Chelsea and being too much for them to handle, but just making sure that they had them under lock and key and that if Chelsea even dreamt of getting back into the game, the level of pressing, the quality of marking and just the determination to stick to the task, man, at no point did they ever really threaten to get back into the game once we'd gone in front it was just the tactical masterclass that's always been Mourinho's hallmark throughout his career. Yeah, that was the first time since 2007 that Chelsea had got an entire match not having a shot on target. Does anyone care to guess to me what, who that was against? Oh, it was uh, against us, wasn't it? It was back in um, 
Yeah, it was the game. It was actually. I think we won that game two 0 as well. I think Tevez scored that yeah, game. Yeah, it was. It was actually just after uh, Jose Mourinho quit. Yes, and that was the year that we won the league in European Cup double. I believe yep. that season. Um, you had the, uh, the legend. Yeah, it was a very similar performance. I remember that game as well. And we, it was a very similar performance in many ways. I don't know about you, Johnny. I, I loved our aggression in that game, in the tempo, and the way we forced the pace. Just, yeah. I mean, everything about it was just the dream. Because not just the pressing from the front, which just left them with no breathing space, but just that way that even from the back, you know, Costa is a professional space buyer a card buyer, he's somebody who even if he's not scoring he causes damage that the creative types around him can feed off but Rojo just in his pocket every bit as much as Herrera had Hazard in his it was just... Damian with Pedro as well yeah, no, it's, it's worth a shout there that in the last couple of games, aside from getting out jumped to Anderlecht He's at least been the Damian that we got for like three weeks when he first signed. So I'm too pessimistic to assume that this is a long-term return to that great form. But I'm hopeful at least that it might mean he's regained some of the confidence that he lost for most of last season and hasn't shown yet this season. So I think he's quite fingers crossed he is. It's quite clear to me that I think Mourinho quite likes Damian. I think he likes the fact that he's someone that will always deliver a good defensive performance, even if maybe he lacks a little bit getting forward. Um and certainly if there's games where we're going to be using some sort of variant on a back three, he'd be quite yeah. useful. And he just offers us another option. I think he, I think he likes Darmy. And, and this is interesting. You mentioned Rojo as well. This was a game for guys. You look at Jesse Lingard, Marcus Rashford. This is a game where certain players. It's the time of the season now where certain players maybe need to step up to secure their futures at the club. Yeah. And you really felt that quite a few players did that. I mean, I'm not a fan of Fellaini, yeah. but I do feel he produced the performance, which made me think he's probably going to be around next season, even as a squad player. He did, as you've mentioned earlier, and I think it's genuinely true that you play him from the start and you don't get a world-class player, but you get a functional cog in the machine who will deliver exactly what he's told to do. And what he's told to do is play the game in a way that allows others around him to do what they're best at. And that's ideal because... It's sort of like the Phil Neville role. He himself was never going to win you the game, but he could do the dirty work that allowed other people to. And Fellaini does a lot of that type of labour that allows your Herreras and your Pogbas to then actually get on the ball and force the game as they did on Sunday. Um, Starting, he's brilliant at that. As you've said, it's just when he comes off the bench that he just seems confused by everything happening around him yeah um, I thought him and um, him and Pogba actually did a terrific job keeping um, Matic Kante quiet in that game they really shackled the both of them very very well um, I thought they were both quietly excellent which is exactly in these kind of games that's what you want from your players to get a grip of it and just produce an efficient performance that can uh, deliver something in the engine room another talking point as well Johnny in that in that performance was, of course, Ander Herrera 
who was man of the match, really. A superb all-action performance. Shackled Chelsea's, arguably Chelsea's best player, but also delivered going forward as well. A lot of people talking about him as a future captain. Can you see where they get that from? Um, yeah, because as I say, I'm, I'm one of the people that firmly believes that he is exactly that. Um, for me, a captain's always just been that player who they just grab hold of the game and they just play it with a certain passion and a certain desire and a certain gusto that just makes everyone around them raise their game to try and match what they're doing. And with or without the armband, Herrera does that. And it's like the bigger the game, the bigger his desire is. And yeah, at Stamford Bridge, you let that desire get the better of him and it cost us that game. But on Sunday, we saw that if he gets that desire right, he's just an incredible player that's going to do phenomenal things at United. I suppose the difference was um, there was better discipline in the United side from Sunday, I suppose, to that uh, FA Cup game on um, at Stamford Bridge. Uh, there was yeah. there was no there was no rushing into tackles. There was no diving yeah. in unnecessarily. Um, it was just about blocking off space more so than anything. Um, Hazard didn't really get a chance to get on the ball yeah. because he didn't really ever get to have the ball in the first place. Yeah, I think as I say, that was one of the things that pleased me about the game a huge amount of passion and intensity but they managed to apply sort of a good professional logic to it as well they, they'd yeah. learned so much from the price of getting all excited and flying into challenges so by sort of reeling back on that and sort of keeping sort of the pressure up but the studs down they made the most of it on Sunday so quite impressed with that yeah, absolutely. And um got to be a word in that front too as well for United. Lingard and Rashford, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. The way that they use their pace to target Chelsea's lack, for, for me, lack of mobility. Not so much with Louise. It was a funny thing that Louise was highlighted, but I think what they were doing, they were targeting Zuma, who hasn't that much game time, and Cahill, who is not exactly much of a useful defender on the turn. He's very good at defending what's in front of him, but he can't deal with players playing off in the shoulder. I always remember that um, that England-Uruguay game where he just basically didn't pay attention and let Luis Suarez, who was, just had a knee operation, just he, um, drift it behind just him reminds twice. me of Zoolander with that whole inability to turn left thing. He just... He, he just doesn't seem to <laughs> deal with direction changing, bless him. So they isolated that quite well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to have that in my head now. He's, he's always going to make me think as if, if he's been like. <laughs> or he, he's not going to turn around and give you a blue steel, is he? Magnum, maybe. But um, of course, the, the performance of that front two gives United other options up front. And maybe, maybe I was going to say, maybe it's a little premature to say that United are better off without Ibrahimovic, but at least means we can rest a little bit easier. And maybe think, you know what, as a club, maybe we shouldn't be held to ransom by this guy. I mean, that's the way it felt for me, that it at least showed that if he isn't the headline act next season, then there are options there that can, if not be centre stage, then they're very, very adequate support to whoever they bring in to replace Zlatan. So it's shown that there are options there that are 
enough to give us excitement that had they been used maybe a bit more often in the games that have just faded into nothing, we might not be as questionable in reaching the top four as we are at the minute. Phil, do you think the United need to be keeping Ibrahimovic next season or do you think the club should be willing to play it cool and be willing to let him go? And go well, I think they need season? to keep their options open at the moment. Um, all of the talk, of course, is whether they're going to sign their Pogba's French compatriot from Atletico Madrid, Anton Griezmann. But... Um, if they sign him, can they really keep Zlatan? Well, this is the question. It's, I'm not. I, I'm not convinced they're going to end up with Griezmann. No, I don't think mind. Griezmann wants no, to leave Spain. Um, that's the vibe that I get. I think he he likes, even though he plays for France. Yeah. He's lived in Spain since he was very young. You can always tell, by the way. Um, sort of whatever country they're playing for, you can always tell. Uh, culturally, where the player leans more towards, when he celebrates, you see what language they're celebrating. And Griezmann, yeah. when he always he always celebrates, always in Spanish. I think mm. it's more likely he may end up at Real, or he stays where he is. Um, it, it depends. Um, yeah. It depends what happens. But yeah, I think it, it's more likely he's going to end up at, at Real Madrid. But it it, it's, it certainly gave us um, an insight into what could potentially be a very interesting strike partnership in the future. Given the opportunity, yeah. Given the I opportunity, think if you throw Mkhitaryan into that mix a couple as of games well. together, none of us expected um, Ibrahimovic to play as as many games as he had this season, and certainly he's not going to play as many. He's probably going to play less next season if he does stay. So that really gives that really leaves the door open for players like Lingard like Rashford and hopefully for um, Antonio Martial do you know I think maybe that might they may be better going for someone like um, like a Mbappe or um, Dembele Osman Dembele yeah, yeah. or somebody like that yeah, exactly. a little younger a lot of pace or um, there's some there's some half decent Colombian guy at Monaco as well like oh I forgot yeah, his name there's a couple of uh, really interesting youngsters at Monaco at the moment but the other one that mentioned is Lukaku. Well, well, I think when you're looking at the amount of uh, money that Everton are looking for Lukaku, I'd, I'd be um, hesitant. Uh, Luka- Lukaku, Lukaku has a tendency to disappear at times in some of the bigger games. I mean, to uh, be fair for me, he's just sort of a younger Ibrahimovic. He, he'll either score you three or miss four sitters and go missing. He's just got no in-between. Yeah. So if we are going to get someone, I wouldn't complain if Lukaku was the man, but he's not someone that would excite me as much as other options. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Mm. I think yeah, Mbappe or Dembele, I would prefer. Well, they're look, they're they're talking about the 35, 40 million for him. Yeah. Well. That's what uh, some of the figures were quoted. Yeah, they said they said they said mm. this to Wanyama as well, and in the end, Spurs got him for about thirty million. So um, we'll see. We'll we'll see about that. But there's there's no question. I think United do need to buy another attacker because it might not just be Bermudez. It could be Martial that could be going as well. We don't know what's going to happen there. But um, 
we've of course that leaves that win leaves us in a very interesting scenario with the league because we are still in fifth. We've I think we may have escaped the deathly clutches yeah, of sixth place for good now. Um, I don't I don't want to jump the shark, but um, but we've got two games in hand on Everton below us, and Arsenal um, are on fifty seven, and they've played the same amount of games. We still got Arsenal to play, so that could be a chance for us to at least yeah. secure. F- to, to stop us dropping out of the top five, uh, we've got a fairly tough run in. I think we've got City away and we've got Spurs away as well, but um, we've got Burnley away coming up on Sunday, which is a potentially tough trip to Turf Moor if we don't have our if we don't have our heads in the game, um, guys. I mean, the team news on that is pretty much you would imagine going to be exactly the same team news, providing we uh, don't get any injuries, as we've got coming for the Anderlecht game tomorrow because. Jones, Smalling, and, and obviously Matter were long-term absentees. Um, I'll go to you first, Johnny. Um, how do you think we do against um, Burnley on Sunday? Are you confident very, very about this game? Side to beat at home, but we're a very, very good side at winning away. Um, I just think it's one of those fixtures where, because of the size of rounders, all being like off-duty on FA Cup stuff, there'll be the motivation to try and take advantage, put three points on the board and just try and add that bit of pressure before sort of the Thursday games kick in. So I'm hoping, not an emphatic win in terms of the scoreline, but if there's at least something emphatic in the performance again, then I think it would give us a real boost in terms of sort of nicking the top four spot. Yeah, absolutely. That top four I thought had gone, but I don't know if we can get some momentum on this running. I mean, we're 22 games of beating in the league now, and under with a lot of draws, but we are still unbeaten, and that's got to count for something in terms of building momentum. We might be able to just nick it, yeah. Um, um, have you got any score predictions for that, Johnny? Yeah, I think it's going to be... Uh, Phil, what are your extremely... feelings on this game, and what score well, predictions be, I'd got? say it's going to be a very dour game. Um, Burnley really um, I would have loved to see them going down because they don't they haven't really contributed anything in terms of anything to the league in terms of coming up Uh, they've just been content just to sit back and uh, play for home points and hopefully nicking something away and I mean yeah I know, but uh, when you is that not understandable for, for a club like on small budget? Things um, like that that have come up. Even Southampton, when they came up a couple of years ago, they actually went yeah. for it. Yeah, I do take your point on that, especially Bournemouth. Yeah, you, uh, you never know. I mean, you're probably you one never of know what they're going to do next. Like, so, um, but Southampton actually came up. They actually played football. They built a consistent base and um, they've kind of been going from strength to strength never, uh, despite all the departures in terms of personnel and uh, management. So, I mean, you don't have to sit back and just defend and hope to catch teams on the break. Uh, you can actually uh, show your strengths in other ways and you'll probably achieve better in the long run as a result of it. I mean, Burnley, Burnley when they came to Old Trafford, uh, we were down to 10 men in the second half, and they had one attempt. They they broke once, and they had one attempt. They 
they looked like they didn't want to to do anything in the game at all. Yeah, and I also take issue with the evaluation of Tom Heaton's performance. Like it was amazing; it was a good performance. But you look at those saves that Heaton made. Yeah, if he I mean, make those saves, him, like, I think you ask questions of him, don't you? Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I, I, do you have a score prediction on that, um, Phil? It's gonna. If you remember a couple of years ago, uh, it was away to Watford. Um, it was a late winner. I think it was under Van Gaal. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be one of those type of games where you yeah. you might go ahead, concede one, and then score a late winner. Yeah. Um, I can't see a I, I can't see a battering. I'd love to um, see a battering of them to yeah. be honest with you, but um, a nice tight win would be um, preferable. Yeah, I um, depending on how the game against Anderlecht goes, if we play well against Anderlecht and get a good score, I actually fancy us to go to Burnley and win three nil. But it all depends on what happens. I'm going to say three nil. I'm really going to stick my neck out on that one. I think if we can get some, keep some momentum going against Anderlecht, have another good performance. I could see us going to Burnley and win because Mourinho can mix it up. He can be direct as well, and I actually think you can catch Burnley out being direct if you put. If he if he plays a pacey forward line again and plays them off the shoulders of those defenders, I think we could do some damage. Um, as good as Michael Keane is, and I do think stinker. Michael Keane is very very yeah. good. Um, I'm not like I, that. I, I just I can't cope with the idea of yes, Tyler because he yes, will. Um, he won't even be able to hide his excitement if Keane gets in his third goal-bound effort block that turns a certain opening goal yeah. into just another corner that he majestically heads away. You'll just, see, can't you'll just listen to another orgasmic um, Martin Tyler response. Yeah, I, no, I've just I've got no time for that. So, like I said, I'd love the guy to have the amazing career that he looks to have the talent to have, but just Sunday, quiet shift, no fuss. Just put in a Frank Sinclair. Yeah, that. that would be greatly appreciated. Would either of you two have Apparent, a well, According to the papers this morning, uh, Jose Mourinho has joined the list of uh, of uh, clubs looking for him. So, has he been? Has he has he really been that good? Yeah, I, I wonder if there's any buyback clause or anything. I don't actually. This is this is the thing. He has been good. I mean, I saw him in the games for England. The thing that impressed me about him is that he's actually good on the ball as well. He, he's a good passer of the ball. He's not. He doesn't. He's good on the ball without himself, doing the John Stones thing of sitting around on the edge of his own box. Which I reserve, like John Stones so, more than most people. Yeah, for Will. Yes, bad injuries for uh, my uh, for for Will. Yeah, really bad injuries. I feel felt a bit sorry for him. Um, but there's a couple of other. Yeah. I think is it Charlie Daniels, the Bournemouth centre half. Um, I think that's his name. I could be wrong. He's somewhat crazy, a lot of, a lot I've of seen him a few times. He's, he's a really good player. At Leicester, regarding Diego Godin yet again. I don't know if he wants to leave. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Because Manchester City made an enormous bid for him. Um. And he personally said no. I just wonder whether the thing with Atletico is that uh, it depends. If Siri only goes in the yeah. summer, there's a distinct possibility that that could happen. 
Um, I think if Atleti if Atleti win the Champions League, I think Simeone that's will go in the summer because I think he will look at it. That's pretty much as far as he. I think so, especially when you look at what he's up against in Spain with the budget, and, um, budget constraints in comparison to the big two. Um, I've actually just been. I'm, I'm actually just reading yeah. Sid Lowe's book. Um, you know, Fear and Loathing in La Liga Cracking. about Barcelona Real Madrid, and he talks about the difference in. It's a brilliant book, um, and he talks about the differences in the the budget between um, Barcelona, Real, and everybody else. And Atletico are a big club; they are a very big club, and they're still way behind in terms of the money that they get. Um, so, but certainly, I think you can add defenders to forwards what United might need in the summer. But um, we'll leave that there anyway. That's to another in-depth discussion for another podcast. Um, thanks for joining. Thanks for joining me again, guys. Because um, this is nobody. People weren't to know this before, but this is basically our second take of this podcast. The first one there was some technological difficulties, and basically uh, all of my part was completely cut out. Phil and Johnny's um, parts were, were in fine, but my part was completely cut out. Obviously, um, I'm, I'm convinced some, some, there was some nefarious interference. Uh, obviously, um, obviously, obviously, um, obviously, we would have missed um, out so on all that magic that was just completely blank. Yeah, completely, just completely gone. Um, so this is actually our second take of this of this this episode of the pod, but we got there in the end. Um, Phil, uh, just before we go, yeah, you can everyone know where they can me find on you. Twitter, um, it's uh, twitter.com forward slash Philip. E M O um I'll have articles from striking news, the likes of um, Ireland Metal Archives, uh, Metal Ireland, and Overblown.co.uk. Uh, you can catch me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Lafty Dog. Ah, brilliant! Um, I will I will be putting all the links uh, for 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 all um, where you can find us and our works on the um, on the uh, on the description the synopsis of the podcast as well. Uh, what about you, Johnny? Where can people find you? And um, obviously, they, indeed, you, yeah, they'll find me on um, well. Twitter at beardmong because that's that's what I am. Um, and straight knows there's one in the pipeline at the moment about the marvels of Rojo because. He deserves some words, bless him, because he's just an incredible bastard. So, yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to check that after after nice we finish this. I'm actually going to check that and edit and get it out. So, um, yeah, I can't wait for that. He he is the snide bastard that we need. Um, and you can find me at Mike underscore Loudmouth on Twitter. You can find my Facebook page the Northern Loudmouth. Um, and of course, you can find all my f- other stuff, all my film and arts and culture stuff on screencritics.net and my own personal blog, thenorvanloudmouth.tumblr.com, as well as my YouTube channel as well, The Northern Loudmouth. Uh, go looking for that where I talk a little bit more about films as well. Um, and you can also find my stuff at Stretty News. Um, just put Stretty News and then just go looking for The Northern Loudmouth. You can find my archive articles all on there to peruse through at your leisure as well. We'll be back uh, next week. We'll be back on Tuesday next week. Uh, normal, normal, normal service will resume providing our documents. Until then, we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.